Good morning. Everybody thought out? Well, that was brutal, wasn't it? Uh, I don't remember anything quite like that, ever. Now, I'm not an old man yet. I'm getting there, but man, that was awful. Um, so grateful that it warmed up, and uh, hopefully he's going to uh, start moving towards spring, right? But I'm glad that you thawed out, that you survived, and that you were able to make it this morning. Uh, I want to start this morning by just uh, asking you to kind of sit back, allow your imagination to uh, kind of take over as I share uh, a circumstance from the scriptures. And um, just allow yourself to kind of dream along with this story, so to speak, or daydream. I know some of you, you know, you're like, man, I daydream every time I'm here. Like, this is my time to daydream. While you're talking, I'm daydreaming, so you're not asking me to do anything new. But um, uh, just think along with me. I want you to think about a people, or put yourself uh, in this scenario where you're part of a people who have uh, lived a life that's very common and ordinary. In fact, uh, your life is one that doesn't have a lot of expectation, a lot of hope. Uh, You are an Israelite. You are a Jewish person, but you have been born and raised in a different land. And in fact, your whole occupation, your whole identity is tied up in one word, and that is slave. That's all you've known. Mom and dad before you, grandma and grandpa before you. And your whole existence was just trying to do the best you could, taking a survive and advance approach to life. I'm not really hoping to own my own business. I'm not really hoping to own a bunch of land. I'm not really hoping to become this or that. I just want to have a nice family and do my best to keep my um, authority structure, uh, people in authority over me, happy where they do not oppress me more than I, I am already. It's just common. It's ordinary. In fact, it's the life of a Jewish slave in Egypt. It's all you've known. You know you're different than the Egyptian people, obviously, in ethnicity, but also in occupation. You you get all that. But you've really just settled into this uh, kind of common and ordinary routine to life. It is what it is. There's no way we're going to be able to change it. And so I'm just going to try to make the best of it. And if I can find a uh, companion that I love and we share life together, have some kids, we can enjoy life to, to the best that we can and find, some, find some, uh, some fulfillment in that. Picture me, you living that life, mundane, boring, common, ordinary. And then one day, things begin to change. This man shows up. You recognize him. Your parents definitely recognize him. They remember him. Your grandparents were there when this Jewish man named Moses had been in the palace, had been a prince of Egypt, and You've heard the stories, you remembered that Moses, who had been what you thought was a a great hope for your people, maybe something could be different, disappears, and he's gone. You know the story, and all of a sudden, he shows back up, 80 years old, looking a little uh, worse for wear, to be honest. And he comes back to, um, to Egypt, and he starts to make demands of the Pharaoh. And you've watched as this man shows up saying he represents who your God 
has, is, and all of a sudden he's demanding that Pharaoh give your people a different future. That he lets them leave their slavery to pursue their own place. And you watch as all of a sudden your common, ordinary, mundane, boring life is changed to where you're waking up every day thinking, what is going to happen next? Because all of a sudden you have watched Moses make a demand, Pharaoh refuse, and then these all sorts of crazy, phenomenal things happening. You woke up one day and there's frogs everywhere. You woke up another day and the rivers flow with, the red with blood. And, and you, you just, it's, it's, all of a sudden, your life is totally turned upside down. And what has been common and ordinary is not. And you have watched this series of give and take with Moses and Pharaoh until finally there was that one night when you were told, get your stuff packed, we're going. And you wondered how that was going to happen, but you watched and you heard the reports and you saw the evidence as you left that that. The God that Moses represented had sent this one final plague where your uh, slave owners, your people that you've been captive to, they begin to lose their firstborn sons all over the land. And Pharaoh decides, that's enough. I can't get rid of them fast enough. And you have been a part of that exodus. Can you imagine this? That within the course of a few weeks and months, of time, your common, ordinary, low expectation, just trying to survive an advanced life, has all of a sudden changed. Your identity has changed, and now your reality is changing because you are not in Egypt anymore. And you have been a part of leaving in that exodus. You remember you've been a part of walking out of that land and going for a few days and then you begin to hear the reports that Pharaoh has changed his mind. And you have been there. You experience what it is like to have been pinched between Pharaoh's armies coming and a great sea that you don't know how to cross. And you have watched and your world has been turned upside down as you have watched Moses call on God and stretch forth the the staff that God gave him to lead with. And you were a part of that people that saw a great sea open and you walked across. You also turned around and watched Pharaoh's army uh, try to cross the sea and be absolutely destroyed. You've watched this. You've been a part of this. You've watched this God all of a sudden uh, or Moses is telling you that God is going to lead you to the land that he's promised to you through this desert wilderness and he's going to lead you and you've watched that this cloud by day would guide you in the way that you're to go and this fire by night would show you. You've experienced being in the wilderness, two million of you with not enough food in a desert place and all of a sudden God providing manna from heaven. But you've also experienced this whole, when your world changes like that, it's very unsettling, is it not? And now for 60 days you've been in the wilderness, and this what was once an unbelievable camping trip is starting to grow old a little bit. I know for me, day one on a camping trip would grow old. My idea of camping is a Holiday Inn Express at night. Take me to Yellowstone, take me to the Rockies, take, I love that stuff, I'll hike, I will do all this stuff. I love it. I love it. I love Gatlinburg, walking the trails. But as long as I can get to a hotel room that night, 
take a shower and have a nice bed. I'm all up for camping. And this is not what they were doing. Picture yourself as a part of that. No home. The kids are now not excited anymore about the camping trip. And you're not either. And you're wondering, I have just had my mind turned upside down with what has happened. I am in a new place and I do not fully understand and realize what is going on. And who is this God that is doing all this stuff? And then one day we read in Exodus that Moses tells the people, in three days, God himself has told me he wants to introduce himself to you. He wants to make a covenant with you. And we read in Exodus that Moses tells them, you need to prepare yourself for this. You need to wash your clothes. You need to get cleaned up. You need, to, you need to understand that we're going to meet him at this mountain, Mount Sinai. And actually, this is going to be such a meeting that you are not going to be able to step foot on the mountain. And I'm going to, we're going to put boundaries in place that you know this is as far as we can go. And can you imagine this strange uh, existence of life now? You've not known anything but just common, ordinary, mundane Egypt life. And not, not a lot to look forward to there. And now you're, you're this. And we read in Exodus chapter 19 that sure enough that third day you wake up. And you with the rest of the people approach that mountain where God says he's going to introduce himself to you. And as you get there, you hear this sound of a ram's horn that begins to, uh, begins to get louder and louder and louder. And it's even to the point where it's deafening. And there's something winsome about that sound, but there's something terrifying about that sound. And all of a sudden, as you stand there waiting, and this, this, uh, this sound is going up from the ram's horn, all of a sudden, the mountain begins to pour, smoke, pour, pour forth smoke like a volcano. And all of a sudden, there's fire coming out of this mountain. And you begin to hear the voice of God himself. The mountain and everything it shakes. And you are so terrified that you as a people fall on your face because you realize you are in the presence of something that is way beyond you. And you have no idea what to do. You listen as God speaks and Moses answers and then God speaks. And finally, we read in Exodus chapter 19 that the people say, enough, we can't take it. Moses, you just speak for us and you talk to God. We can't take this. And you are introduced to this God. This is the first introduction of God himself to people. This is what he wants us to first realize about him. God is other. God is not common. God is not ordinary. He is other. And in fact, this is the context for now we begin to understand that when, we, when God says that he is holy, this is part of what he means. 
this visual representation to those people and then for us to read and understand about him is that God is a holy God that is completely unlike anything that we can even imagine or comprehend or be in the presence of without feeling the vast otherness of who he is and who we are. There's a handout I have for you today. And if you have that, you would read that A.W. Tozer would say this, We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. We are blind to it. We may fear God's power and admire His wisdom, but, the, but His holiness is something that we cannot even imagine. And as we're going through this series, and our hope is to help all of us to continue to focus our vision so that we can move toward clarity, 2020 vision of seeing who God is. Because in seeing who God is, we then begin to understand what is supposed to happen in our lives and what He is doing with us and what He wants to do with us. It's only as you can see clearly that you know what is supposed to take place, where you're supposed to go, how to avoid danger, right? If I take my contacts out right now, I'm lost and I am in peril. And the series is just to take attributes of God and help us to think about what they are, what that means to us and how we respond to that. And today I'm talking to you about what I consider to be maybe the hardest attribute to articulate. That is the holiness of God. Because I believe it is something, it is out of which everything else about God flows, but it is also something that He has left for us to never quite grab completely a hold of. And so all I can tell you today, and what I would remind you of, is that when God says He is holy, He is communicating this truth. That God is, and if you look at the word holy, you would understand that it is the idea of the opposite of common and ordinary. To be distinct, different, or unique. The holiness of God is that which divides him from everyone and everything else. It is what Moses says in the context of all of these things happening, when he says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? You are majestic in holiness. And there is a quality of holiness that is majestic. It is this idea of uh, other. It means literally a cut above. There is not a category for this God. He is not what we understand in this world. And he is separate from all the categories of this world. And he wants us to realize that about him. He is other. He is other because in his holiness, we see that he is absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. Now, I don't know if you've looked around or you've looked in the mirror. You understand that this world is, quite frankly, not perfect. Is it not? Talking to a bunch of people who are not living in reality. 
It's not perfect. We see it every day. Your life, your decisions, your bodies, our world, it's imperfect. It's decaying. It's, and God is communicating, I am not this. I am other. I am holy. But in that holy is absolute perfection. And a part of that perfection is what John would say when he said, this is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. A part of understanding the otherness of God, the holiness of God, is that there is absolutely nothing that is morally wrong about God. There is the complete absence of sin. He is what it is to understand pure. He is an unapproachable light. He is a consuming fire. He is absolute perfection in all ways. And that is why we, as our fallen humanity, were never able and are never able to quite grab a hold of or actually be in the presence of, in that sense, this kind of holiness. That's why Moses, he said, you don't want that. And that's why when he would show up in certain ways, he is absolute perfection. And in that perfection is an absolute absence of evil. And he defines all that is pure, whole, righteous, and healthy in this universe. Okay, are you with me so far? I just have to belabor that point, okay? I don't feel like I'm probably telling you anything new. I just need for your mind to start going down that road. Okay, because here's what I want to say. God reveals his holiness all through his, through his word. He reveals it in, in ways, his otherness, um, uh, through, like, through supernatural encounters. When he would encounter um, somebody, uh, there was always this sense of they were on their face. They recognized, whoa, this is not anywhere close to me. And God would show his holiness through a burning bush or through all these things. He is revealing himself as other, as distinctly different, separate from this world. He would do it through places. I I just referenced, remember, the burning bush. That bush that had been a bush for years. Nothing that anybody would look at all of a sudden becomes a place that he says is holy ground as he enters into that bush through a a burning fire. And all of a sudden, this place that was common and ordinary becomes holy because he is there. He did it with the tent that he, when the people, the children of Israel, began to travel through the desert, he said, I want my presence to be with you and I'm going to reside in that, what was your traveling church, your traveling tabernacle, your tent. In that place was a place where his presence resided. It was a holy place. And it was separate, it was other. He did it when they built the tabernacle. He did it when they moved on to the temple. And there was the holy of holies. Remember that phrase? You couldn't go in there, right? No, you, it, it was his special place. When God moves to a place, it becomes other. It is not common or ordinary. And we see that as he is revealing himself and his holiness through places, through the law. As he is giving the law to Moses, he is revealing his holiness. When he says things in his law like, you shall take, 
you shall have no other gods because there are not any other gods. And he says, listen, I'm going to take this even further so you understand. You cannot even make a, a graven image of me. Because in doing so, you would reduce me. You can't make a picture of me. You can't make an idol of me. Because in doing so, you would reduce me from who I am. He said, my name, my name is so holy that you are not to use it lightly or casually or in a vain way. He is teaching us about his holiness, his otherness through his law. He's saying, listen, um, I'm the God who created in six and rested in seven. And I want to show you that I'm the God that can help you in six days do more than what the world can do in seven days. And I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to be other like me, to stop your normal rhythm of your work schedule and to rest, to worship, to remember, to take in this holy God, this other God, because that's who I am. And my law is revealing that you need to do this so you can begin to entertain who I am. He gives commands um, in that law about the holy way to live. Now, at the root of what the English word holy is, is health. It's wholeness. And God is saying, I have this way that I have designed for you to live in your fallen, broken condition. You are not, and you're creating chaos and, and more brokenness. And, and here, I want to show you that I am this God, a holy God, absolute perfection, and my way is this way. And if you will walk in my way, you will find health and wholeness that I've always intended for my creation to have. That's why you should honor your folks that's why you shouldn't lie to one another, defrauding one another, stealing from one another. That's why to live in sexual immorality is, is to fall far beneath my design for your sexuality in this world. My holy way is this, and I'm calling you to that. I want you to see this. I want you to follow this. That's why you don't live coveting one another envious of one another you know the ten commandments right somebody stand up and say i'm i'm teasing but we see in his law we begin to realize this is what other looks like this is what holy looks like everything around me is common ordinary and it's broken and god is beyond this he's above this and he has this way this law that he calls us to live by we see it through the prophets you begin to keep reading in the word of god and you come to these prophets daniel isaiah ezekiel jeremiah zechariah zephaniah you know on and on and on and you begin to realize that even in those books we read we understand the holiness of god because all of those books are prophets calling people back to god to forsake the idols of this world, to forsake the false gods of this world. And he is saying, listen, I am the one. I am the other God. I am the only God, and you need to come back to me. And so through his, through his prophets, we see his holiness is resounding as he is the only way. He is other than anything else. We see it through even the wrath and the judgment that we read in Scripture. How often in the story of the Jewish people was that they would, would walk with God and then they would become distracted. 
And they would begin to to follow the ways of this world. And they would begin to follow false gods. And they would begin to, and um, they would take casually or neglect the way and the will of God. And God would send judgment on them for one purpose. To turn them back to him. To create some pain in their life. So they would all of a sudden look around and say, why am I here? Oh, my decision making is is turned from God. I've got myself into these issues. God would bring pain. They would repent. And in that we would see that God has a other standard of living. A holy standard of living. And his wrath and judgment are what he would use to remind them of he is a holy God. God still does that with us. (laughs) Some of the difficulty in your life, I'm not saying all of it, not by any stretch. Your decision making didn't cause you to, to deal with certain difficulties. But often, some of the trials and difficulties we would go through, if we really were honest and we would look at them, often we can see where God allows us to face the consequences of our decisions quickly and sometimes even severely because he's doing one thing. He's trying to turn us back to following him. He allows his wrath and his judgment to turn people. It's a redemptive way that he calls people back to his other way, his holy way. And then obviously we see his holiness through Jesus, the Son, the manifestation of what a holy God is like. And we see someone who lived every moment of every day without sin. Perfect, pure Jesus Christ. But I would also remind you that the way God in his evolving story through the scriptures, through law, through prophets, through wrath and judgment, Then Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. He says that he still has this plan to continue to reveal his holiness through his people. And that's where I want to land today. Because if we're going to understand that, okay, Chip, you're telling me God's holy. I think I already knew that. You kind of broadened my mind a little bit that it means other. It's absolute perfection. It's, it's um, out of which everything else about him flows. It's not common. It's not ordinary. It's God, holy And I can see how he's done that, and I get all that. But now you're moving to a point where you're saying that God tries to reveal or does reveal his holiness through his people. Where are you going with this, Chip? And I would remind you that if you were to read the story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees the the Lord high and lifted up, and when he is brought into the presence of God, and he sees what's going on right now with God, There's seraphims, there's cherubims that are saying right now at the throne of God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? That's happening right now as Isaiah saw it. And you would begin to understand that what happens when Isaiah sees God as he is, it's a predictable pattern for all of us. What are his words when he sees God for who he is? He says this, um, Woe to me. I am ruined. You see, what happens is in those instances when you and I, or when mankind comes into the presence of a holy God, we realize the depth of our own depravity, the fallenness of our nature, and the words, only the words that can come out of our mouth is, I am ruined. 
And that's what I want to set up for you today. You see, we, you're like me. I know you are. You grade on a curve. We all do this. Grading on a curve, right? Teachers, you hate it. Um, sometimes it's okay for you, right? Maybe make sure. Uh, anyway, um, we grade on a curve. I'm, I think I'm a better person than they are. So I must be holier than they are, and I feel good about myself, right? And what we have done is through time, we have made a comparison game. I'm better than them, so I'm okay. Let me tell you something. God never grades on a curve. His standard is absolute. And if you and I come into contact through his word or through the power of his spirit convicting us, we realize that the same way that Isaiah realized, when I see God for who he is, I realize I'm ruined. And there's no more me feeling better about myself because I'm better than my neighbor. I'm a better person than they are. Or I do more bad than good. Or I'm pretty much a good person. All of that is far out the window. When you begin to see this holy God in Scripture, the only response from mankind is, whoa, I'm ruined. Because there is an otherness to him that I don't... That's why God would say, look, when you try to be good, when you try to you know, balance the scales or do good things to please me. He says it's like filthy rags to me. You don't really understand. You, filthy rags, modern day translation is toilet paper. Not toilet paper at Walmart. Toilet paper that's in the toilet. You're following me here? Do I have to keep describing? I don't want to. It's not a pleasant thing, is it? That's what it looks like to God when we try to, I'm good, I'm better than them, I'm going to please God by doing these. When you see him for who he is, like the only response of mankind is, I'm ruined. Because there's no way I could ever. And so what does that mean for us? A holy God, absolute standard of perfection. It raises two questions that I think any of us would want to ask. Not sure why that's coming up. You're going to have to help me back there, Jonah. If God is so holy that he cannot even gaze at sin, how can sinful people like us have a relationship with him? How does that happen? If what you're describing already, it's, I'm ruined is the only response before God. And that's the gospel this morning. God, holy God, common, ordinary, profane humanity, God loves and does something about this gap. Right? For while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his own love toward us, and Christ died for us. The demands of God's holiness is met, is provided by the love of God. And in the gospel, I'm not sharing anything new to you today, you realize this, but the, the way that unholy people can have any kind of relationship with an other God is through the work and the life and the love and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, God sees the work that Jesus did, and in his holy demands that things be right and be just, he sees 
Jesus Christ unjustly taking our place and it's far more than enough for him to say, you know what? The demands of my holiness are met through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the Son. And all of a sudden, you and I, unholy people, can move into a relationship with the holy God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all. That's the only thing. That's the only merit. That's the only way that there can be a relationship between these two things. But then you might ask, okay, I get that. I've taken that step. Well, when a holy God comes into relationship with us, what becomes my relationship with sin? Because in case you haven't noticed, ain't none of us perfect. Right? We have this ongoing issue with trying to figure out what is my relationship to sin now? And I see a holy God who, who cannot stand or be compatible with sin. So how is this going to work? I get that Jesus stands in my place, but what about my everyday life? How does a holy God interact with people who still are walking through this life dealing with the effects of sin? And I would remind you that God, in his salvation, in his forgiveness in his making us right before him through this process of justification and i pushed the wrong button again forget it not doing it where we positionally become holy you are my child you're positionally holiness you are justified just as if you had never sinned no sin holy right that out of that he also comes into our life through the power of the holy spirit and now this holy God sends his Holy Spirit into our life and he begins this relationship with us whereby he begins to turn us into a holy people. Now what is so cool about this God, and I hate to even say it that way, that sounds, what is so wonderful or whatever about this God is that because of Jesus spirit in our life he recognizes that the effects and damages of sin are so far reaching that it is going to take a process of his daily work in our life to change us from a sinful people to a holy people and God patiently through his grace and mercy and love walks with us enabling us, empowering us, strengthening us to turn from the people we were to the people he desires us to be. And that is to reflect, manifest the image of Jesus Christ. And this is what we call the process of sanctification, right? This is God's plan. How in the world, holy God, other God in us, how can we what is the deal with that? What am I supposed to do with that? I get he's that. I'm never going to think he's other than that. I need to have him in that place. That is important for me to always understand. That way I will never make any other God of any other thing. He's holy. He's perfect. Out of that flows justice and wisdom and all those things. I get that, Chip. Okay, I'm there. But how do I have a relationship with this God? Okay, Jesus comes to take my place, to meet the demands of a holy God. But 
But what does this mean for my daily life? And it's God's now Holy Spirit coming into my heart. And He doing the transforming work of changing me. This is the process of a lifetime, but it is a process that is ongoing, and it is the evidence of your faith is this holy God changing you. I want to go to so many references in Scripture about this. This is my passion in my whole life. But I would tell you that all of a sudden, this life that was dominated by lust, anger, greed, um, trying to one-up everybody, trying to pursue things that brought glory and attention to me. All of a sudden, that now Jesus is in my life, those things are being broken and shattered and are losing their hold and their grip on our lives. And all of a sudden, this person that lived this way according to the ways of this world, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit in my life is now empowering me, energizing me in those moments to say, you know what? Yeah. This is what I want to follow. This is what I want to pursue. I see that the effects of that only bring harm, damage, chaos, bondage into my life. And all of a sudden, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am strengthened in this process of sanctification. Until what we call happens is glorification. When we see Him, we will be perfectly like Him. And the Holy God starts a process in our life that when we cross over into His presence, we become just like Him. His whole desire was not to just hoard his holiness, not to just always hold it over us like, I'm different, you're not, you're broken, I'm not. It was, this is who I am, and this is who I want you to be. And so what does that mean, quite simply, just two things before we go. The scriptures say, how do I respond to this? This reality that God has for me? this promise, this hope that I can become holy, it's this. Doesn't that sound strange? Chip Bullock can become holy. I just, I, it's hard for me. But on the authority of the word of God, he says I can become other. I can become different. I can become distinct and unique from the common, ordinary world around me. I can begin to live out the Jesus life. It's not fully like Jesus, but I can begin to manifest the same spirit, the fruits of the spirit God himself had, that Jesus had, as he does his work in me through the power of his Holy Spirit. And what does it mean? It's two things. Jonah, it's one, it's a decision that we make. It's a decision we make. This is what Hebrews chapter 12 would say. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. No one is going to be to see the Lord unless you're holy. All right? 
without holiness. And that word, it's seek or pursue holiness. It's a decision that we make. None of us are going to slide into becoming a holy person. Not going to wake up one day and say, Woo, how'd this happen? You know, I, I shared this morning, or I shared earlier, I've, uh, I've decided to torture myself and to turn my life upside down right now by jumping into this whole CrossFit thing. All right? If I'm grumpy with you this week, it's probably not you. It's because my body is screaming at me. It's really, I mean, like three days a week, and I mean, you're, you're and I'm, I'm exercising muscles I never knew I had now. I go home, my wife asks me how it went, and I just look at her and say, it's hell. But I realize I'm turning 40. I've got re- to push back, right? But this week, I went Monday. And you remember what Wednesday was like, right? It was like no one should have been out, right? Too cold. Freezing. 38 degrees below zero. Guess who was doing CrossFit? The CrossFitters. That's their whole culture, okay? Guess what Chip decided? It's too cold. That gym's not very heated. But at the core of it, I was sliding back. And you know what happened? I didn't show up Wednesday and I didn't show up Thursday. There is no way that CrossFit is going to work its effects in my life if I go every once in a while, is it? It's not designed that way. It takes a commitment from the person to say, I'm committed to this process so that I can lose the weight I need to. My body can be in the shape it needs to be when I'm getting 40, turning 40. It's gonna take me being in, committed. That's the same kind of idea, he says, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. He's got this, this holy God wants to become a part of our lives and make us a holy people. It's unbelievable the hope, the promise in that. I can be what I never thought I would be. And it's not even me just trying harder and harder. It's me just making a decision every day to open my heart to the power and the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And allowing him to guide my decisions, allowing him to strengthen my heart, allowing him, accessing him to now begin to create this ability in my life. But it's a decision I have to make. In fact, if you would read farther, you would see that the scriptures say it's not just a decision you need to make, it's a command that we are to obey. Because this is what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. This is imperative mood. This is not a suggestion from God. This is not on the options list. This is not the bonus Sky Miles Delta Package Lounge that you can just add on with. This is be holy. Why? 
because it's always been God's intent, God's in purpose for our lives is to take his holiness and it become a part of who we are so that we can be transformed into his likeness. Guys, that is such a hopeful thing. Your life can be not common and not ordinary. Your life can be uncommon, unordinary. Because you shine forth the image of Jesus, the Holy Jesus, as he, through the power of his Holy Spirit, works in you. That's why in 2 Peter, he says this. Next verse. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in what? The divine nature. The holy nature of God can become our nature and we can become a holy And so this morning as we go, we're gonna celebrate at the table what Christ has done for us and the opportunity he gives to us to now not only have peace with the holy God, but to now take on the nature of a holy God so that we can become a distinct, different, unique people that show forth the distinct, different, unique life of Jesus Christ. What this world desperately needs, what makes sense, how God created it to be, it's not the common and ordinary of this fallen world. It is something other than that, and it's the life he calls us to experience, to participate in, to enjoy, and it comes for one reason, because Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to us. And because of his work, you and I have the opportunity to experience the life God always created, and that's for you and I to look like Jesus to be. And so I invite you to the table this morning to celebrate what God has done as you go and to thank him for the opportunity that you and I can share in the divine nature of God himself. Would you stand this morning?